What's up, Continuum? How we doing? It's good to see everybody. I feel like I need to talk this way because most of you are over here and you guys didn't get the memo. Thank you for sitting on the left side, bringing some equilibrium to the room. We're glad that you're here. My name is Reed and I'm one of the pastors here and uh, we're excited about a new year and a fresh start and uh, getting started with Continuum tonight. And so the question that I was wrestling with over the last couple of days as we've been back in Austin and got lots and lots of sleep. Uh, <laughs> I was talking to some y'all, get some sleep, like 12 hours in a row, right? I was so tired. Uh, that is, you're, you're on fire, but you're exhausted. Um, is, is, is what next, right? Like, what, what do we do now? And I know some of you didn't go, you're like, well, I don't have anything to do with this, but, but really this message is universal, but we, for, for 36 of us, we feel liberated, we feel motivated, we feel even educated. And what do I do with all that in the days to come? And I think the story in 2 Kings 7 might be able to provide some direction for us. It's one of my favorite stories in the whole Bible, and it's one that most of you haven't heard before. It takes place in about 850 B.C. in the nation of Israel. So most of the Old Testament took place in the nation of Israel. And at one point, the the nation of Israel was actually split into two kingdoms. You had the northern kingdom, which was called Israel, and the southern kingdom, which was called Judah, or sometimes you see it referred to as Judea. In the northern kingdom in Israel... Uh, there were a lot of really, really bad kings. They were really bad at choosing kings. And they would choose wicked people who abandoned God's way and abandoned God's law and his covenant and worshipped false idols. And this story takes place during the reign of one of those kings by the name of Jehoram. Jehoram was a wicked man. Um, he took over as king at 32. He reigned for eight years and uh, just wasn't a good guy. So much so that God tells Elisha, the prophet, hey, go tell Jehoram that I'm going to judge him because of his wickedness. And I'm going to judge the nation of Israel because of Jehoram's wickedness. And Jehoram says, I don't believe you. That's not going to happen to me. But Elisha says, look, I'm trying to tell you that, that God is upset with you. And so he's going to allow Israel's enemies to come to conquer you. And again, Jehoram just said, I'm calling your bluff. That's not happening here. And um, so one day, sure enough, the Arians came to, uh, to Israel. Uh, the Arameans, I'm sorry. And they surrounded the city walls of Samaria, which is the capital city of Israel. And they didn't come in and attack Samaria, but they besieged the city, which means they're not going to let anything come in and they're not going to let anything go out. Well, you guys are smart. So if I do that long enough, I don't let anything come in, what are you going to run out of? Food. Yeah. If we're in a city with these fortified walls, and I'm not letting anything come in because I'm surrounding the city, you're going to run out of food. And it became a massive issue for the city of Samaria and the people of Israel. It got so bad. They had all these laws um, that they these things they could not eat. They abandoned those laws and they were, they were eating pretty much anything that moved. Uh, they were selling donkey heads at a premium. Um, they were eating and selling dove feces. Yeah, I know it's gross. It's just in the Bible. Um, they even resorted to cannibalism. It's bad. Like (laughs) that's bad. You think that's that's bad, right? You know what? That bird doo-doo looks really good, right? Like, that's gross. You know what, Brian? You're looking really good, right? That's gross. But it got so bad that they're like, I'll eat anything at this point. So that's happening inside the city walls. 
And if it's bad for the people inside the city walls, you can imagine how bad it was for the men in our story. There were four lepers. And leprosy back in those days was a term that covered a wide variety of the highly communicable skin diseases. And when you got leprosy, you might not necessarily die immediately, but everything about you in your life would be stripped away. So you would lose your, your home immediately. When I get it, it's so communicable, I can give it to anybody else. I can't even hug my wife and my two boys goodbye. I'm out. Can you imagine? Like, I get this disease, and, and, and I can't even hug them goodbye. I'm out. I lose my family. I lose my friends. I lose my home. I lose my, my business, my career. I lose everything. And my new family, my new friends, my new career, my, everything about my life now is revolving around these other lepers in the leper colony. And not only would you lose all of those things, but you might actually lose your skin as well. You would lose perhaps the ends of your fingers and your toes and the end of your nose. That's how leprosy works. And so you can imagine just that falling upon you and everything, just think about this, everything that you knew about your life January 6th, 2019 changes tomorrow. Your family, your friends, your career, everything changes because you got sick. And so they had been banished outside of the city walls of Samaria. So if the people inside the city aren't eating well, you can imagine how bad it is for these four guys going, like, we're going to die. And they realize we don't have, we don't have any options. We actually have three options. And they're not very, they're all bad. <laughs> they're the worst options ever. But let's go through the scenario and let's figure out what is the best of these situation. So this is where we pick up the story in 2 Kings chapter 7, beginning in verse 3. It says this, now there were four men with leprosy at the entrance of the city gate. They said to each other, why stay here until we die? If we say we'll go into the city that's already banished us, the famine is there and we will die. If we stay here, we will die. So let's go over to the camp of the Arameans and surrender and if they spare us, we live. If they kill us, then we die. <laughs> and those are great options, aren't they? Right? Like, I can go in the city, and then we're going to die. And we can stay here, or we're going to die. Or we can go surrender. Like, can you imagine that scenario? Like, these four men who are falling apart, going up, to the, they're waving the white flag, and they're like, who are these jokers? Right? Like, that's a big deal. That, oh, okay, yeah, come on in. Here, we'll feed you. Right? Like, that's a crazy, but that's like my only option at this point. I can stay here and die, I can go in and die, or I can go surrender, and maybe they'll spare us and we'll live. If not, we die. Verse 5. At dusk, they got up and went to the camp of the Arameans. And then when they reached the edge of the camp, no one was there. For the Lord had caused the Arameans to hear the sound of chariots and horses and a great army, so that they said to one another, Look, the king of Israel, Jehoram, has hired the Hittite and Egyptian kings to attack us. So they got up and fled in the dusk and abandoned their tents and their horses and their donkeys. They left the camp as it was and ran for their lives. Can you imagine that? So God, God didn't, God's people are the Israelites. He loves the Israelites, but he was trying, he didn't want to destroy the Israelites but at the same time, he was just trying to jar Jehoram and go, stop your wicked ways, man. Come back to me. And when he felt like that Jehoram was significantly shaken, 
he sends a wind or a noise or something so that the Arameans thought that Jehoram had contacted the Hittites or the Egyptians and, and they're, they're going to basically flank us and we're going to be caught, right? They're, they're, they're going to ambush us some way because they hear the sound of what they thought were horses and an army approaching. And so without really getting everything together, I think we're fixing to get killed. So they just abandon. They just flee in the night and leave everything, leave their horses, leave their donkeys. I can imagine in my mind that there's just this trail as they're fleeing. They're just dumping stuff to go a little bit faster to get away from what they thought was the army that was coming to get them. And so here you have these four lepers and they come over the hill, and there's goats, and there's sheep, and there's oxen, and there's horses, and there's wine, and there's treasure, and they're like, party, right? They're so excited, right? So they're just eating. In fact, let me just read it to you. Uh, verse 8, the men who had leprosy reached the edge of the camp, entered one of the tents, and ate and drank. They took silver Gold and clothes, clothes were very expensive back then because they were all handmade, and went off and hid them. They returned, entered another tent, and took some things from it and hid them also. Uh, I just get this picture of them just like eating and then drinking and then going, hey, let's go hide this treasure. And they go bury the treasure and they come back and they eat some more and they drink some more. And hey, let's hide that stuff too. And they go and they bury that. This isn't in the Bible. I'm kind of reading into this, but I have a feeling they, they reformed the four man leprosy band who had the hit song Footloose. And um, I'm sorry, that was bad. That was a really bad joke. Is there lepers? Footloose. Okay. But they're all berserk. They're so excited. And then finally, finally, they step back, step back and say, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Here we are, we're eating, we're drinking, we're being merry. We have family and friends who, albeit left us to die out on, outside the city walls, but they're inside the city walls and they have no idea that, that we're saved. The Arameans have fled and, and they don't have to fear anymore. Oh, they're saved, we're all saved. And this isn't right. And they come to their senses to this amazing verse, 2 Kings, in verse 9 of, of this chapter. It says, And they said to each other, What we're doing is not right. This is a day of good news. And we're keeping it to ourselves. If we wait until daylight, punishment will overtake us. Let us go at once and report this to the royal palace. And before they even said that verse, you were already thinking it, weren't you? Like you're thinking, if these guys eat and drink and be merry and live happily ever after, I'm not going to be satisfied. This is not a good ending to the story. They have to go back at some point, right? They have to go tell their wives and their kids and everybody in the town that they don't have to fear anymore. The Arameans are gone. Like in verse 10. So they went and called out to the city gatekeepers and told them, we went into the Aramean camp and no one was there. Not a sound of anyone. Only tethered horses and donkeys and the tents left just as they were. The gatekeepers shouted the news and it was reported within the palace. Well, the king Jehoram got up in the night and said to his officers, I will tell you what the Arameans have done to us. They know we are starving, so they've left the camp to hide in the countryside thinking they will surely come out and then we will take them alive and get into the city. One of his officers answered, have some men take five of the horses that are left in the city. Their plight will be like all, that of all the Israelites left here. Yes, they will only be like all of the Israelites who are doomed. 
So let us send them to find out what happened. So, so Jehoram's like, this is a trick. I don't believe you. And one of the guys like, what do we have to lose, man? Like, let's get the only horses that we have left. Let's send them out. And if they get killed, then, then we're all going to die. But what if this is true? Let's just see. So they selected two chariots with their horses, and the king sent them after the Aramean army. He commanded the drivers, go and find out what has happened. They followed them as far as the Jordan, and they found the whole road strewn uh, with the clothing and equipment the Arameans had thrown away in their headlong flight. So the messengers returned and reported to the king, and then the people went out, and I love this word, plundered. I put a capital P on that, just plundered the camp of the Arameans. So a sea of the finest flour sold for a shekel and two seahs of barley sold for a shekel as the Lord had said. Because Elisha, the prophet, had prophesied by this time tomorrow, prices are coming down because there's going to be food for everybody. Isn't that a cool story? You see the parallel. The parallel is almost so obvious it doesn't even need to be stated. And as we read this story, it's so obvious to us what these four lepers should do. And I can't help but wonder if all of heaven isn't looking down on us and thinking it's so obvious what you should do. We're a lot like those lepers. For many of us in this room, we had a spiritual hunger or a spiritual thirst. And uh, it caused you to do something that was out of your, out of your character. You, you, you started to seek things that you would never seek. You, you maybe came to church for the first time. You remember that day. And you're like, I'm just... And maybe, maybe on the outside, everything was okay, but on the inside, it was just chaos. Or maybe the outside was chaos, and it just heightened your need for some spiritual nourishment somewhere. And you didn't even maybe know that it was a spiritual hunger or a spiritual thirst, but you're like, I'm willing to try anything. So you cracked open your Bible for the first time, or you prayed for the first time. God, I don't even know if you can hear me. I don't even know if I'm praying to a being, but I'm so desperate, I'm giving this a shot. Maybe you called that friend and said, okay, I know you've been asking me to go to Christian life and, and to continue. I'm, I'm coming, right? And, and there, there was something that made you go, okay, like my life's just, it's, it's a wreck. It's jacked up and I'm, I'm willing. I'm just, I'm willing because there was something, there was a hunger. And you, you didn't know what that was, but you knew something had to change or you weren't going to make it. And so you came and, and you started listening and you started reading the Bible and you saw this amazing news that Jesus says, I love you so much. And I love you so much that I came to earth. I walked on this earth. My feet hit this, this ground and I, I did that because I love you. I wanted to relate to you. I lived for 33 years. I wanted to experience life. I wanted to experience hardship. I wanted to experience heartache. I wanted to have issues. I wanted to feel temptation. I wanted to have relational problems. So that I could relate to you and be your best friend. And, and I was on this earth and I love you so much that I was willing to die because you all sin. Everybody sins. I sin. Everybody sins. We all sin and fall short of the glory of God. And because of sin, it separates us from God. God is holy. He is set apart and we are sinful, which means that we can't be in right standing with God. And Jesus says, I can fix that. I love you so much that I will die. If the wages of sin is death, and I will take on your sin. I will become your sin, 2 Corinthians 5 tells us, and I will die for your sin. And if you put your hope in me, you put your faith in me, you put your trust in me, you have a relationship with me, you'll become right with God again. And when God sees you one day, he doesn't see your sin, he sees me, his son, in you. 
For you've been crucified with me and you no longer live, but Christ Jesus lives in you. And so he came to earth and you, you discovered that news. And you're like, that is amazing news. That is the best news. That is so exciting. And everything about your life started to kind of shift and change. And it wasn't immediate. It happened over time. But you started finding life and you started like coming to church. You're like, this is actually a pretty cool place. And I like the worship. I met some cool people here. And everything was really good. And, 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 and you started your, your, your time, your discretionary time was even being eaten up with other things. You're in a life group and you've met some other people in the same interests as you. And, and you, you started serving on the dream team and now I'm plugged in. I'm, I'm like serving on Sundays and I'm helping people and I'm going to start here and I'm plugged in. I'm coming on Sundays and Wednesdays and I'm here every time the doors are open. And if we're not careful, we get so wrapped up in the richness of God that we forget that there's some people that we left behind that we have to go back to. That we have to say, I have this incredibly good news and I'm so excited and enamored by the good news. I just want more of the news. I just, I was talking to somebody just a minute ago and we were kind of talking about New Year's resolutions and, and part of the resolution, I, I'm going to get in this Bible. I'm so excited about this. But knowing his story, I know where he came from and, and there is that call of us. We, we, we have to not, this is good. This is good, but, but I can't forget that there's a responsibility, too, that there's people that I've left behind here who are dying. And we have these keys to salvation, and, and, and if we don't go back, then that, that falls on us. With this great knowledge comes this great responsibility, and that's what happened with the lepers. They have this great discovery, and now they have this great responsibility. We, we've got to go back. What we're doing is not right. And so, and by the way, it's not that we don't care. We do care. We just, I, we think about going back. We just get so wrapped up in the goodness of God and the richness of God that it just, we just don't, right? Not that we didn't have plans to or, well, if it, if it comes up in conversation. No, we, we have a responsibility. And the fact that they knew that they were saved meant they were responsible for those who had not yet discovered that they were saved. That's on them. And that's on us. Here's the question you have to ask yourself. Is will you go back? Will you go back? Because I really believe, and I've said this before, that the greatest revival that's going to happen in Austin, Texas and this planet is not the people sitting in this room. The greatest revival that's going to happen on this planet are people who this morning woke up completely trashed with a, a, a woman who wasn't their wife next to them. Because when they get Jesus, guess who their circles of influence are? People who don't know Jesus. And guess who their circles of influence are? People who don't know Jesus. And that's where this multiplication happens. But we've got to go back and say, hey, i got to tell you something, man. I used to be there and God set me free and he, this is the best news and there's so much richness that comes in a relationship with God. Look at verse nine again. Then they said to each other, what we're doing is not right. This is a day of good news and we're keeping it to ourselves. If we wait until daylight, punishment will overtake us. Let's go at once. I hope that that is your attitude as we go out of here and say, okay, let's go at once. Like, I don't want to wait until, you know, when we have lunch again. I don't want to wait until it's convenient. I, I, I'm going to go tonight. I'm going to make that text message, set up the appointment. I got to tell somebody about him. I have good news and my life is forever changed. And listen, I don't have all the answers. And, and, and they talked about this passion. You don't have to know how the dinosaurs fit into Genesis. You don't have to know all that, right? 
I know that's the fear of like, well, what if they ask me a question? It's okay. Say, I don't know. But you know what I do know is that God is radically transforming my life for the better. That ever since I gave him my life, he's changed every part of my life for the better. And I just want you to experience that. I can't answer all the questions. I just know that he's answering my questions. And he's bringing me a life like I've never experienced before. If you're a believer tonight, what, would, what, would you, what are you doing with the good news? More specifically, what would it be like if you embrace this simple truth that with this great discovery comes great responsibility? Who would you invite to lunch this week? What would your next gift be? And who would you give it to? Would you do anything different with your finances? We talked about that a minute ago. But if you really embrace the heart of this is the best news, would you do something different with your finances? Probably. You know, I, I, I'm so passionate about passion. I would probably pay for somebody else to go to passion. Like, I, Who would you invite to church? Would you change where you work or how you interact with coworkers? Who would you begin praying for? Just tenaciously, I'm going to pray for you and pray for you and pray for you because I'm embracing the good news and I know that you're going to too. Passion's ministry verse is Isaiah 26, 8. It's been the ministry verse for 22 years. It says, yes, Lord, walking in the way of your laws, we wait for you. Your name and renown are the desires of our heart. In other words, the reason I exist, the, the desire of my heart is to bring fame to your name. So how do you do that? How do you bring fame to the name of Jesus? Can you talk about how to do that, Reed? No, I can't. Because you're, all, you're a born name carrier. You know how to do this. So I'll give you some names. You might know some of these names. Drake. <laughs> T. Swift. Right? That's a name. Ed Sheeran's a name. Ariana Grande's a name. Imagine Dragons. I saw Imagine Dragons before they were really a name, and I thought they were pretty cool, and now they're massive, and I don't like them anymore because I, I remember them being this nobody band. Bruno Mars is a name. Maroon 5 is a name. Beyonce and Jay-Z. The Weeknd. Failed spelling, but that's a name. Thank you for getting that joke. Lady Gaga's a name. Coldplay is a name. Florida Georgia Line is a name. Keith Urban is a name. Carrie Underwood is a name. Eminem is two initials. Pink is a color. Sephora is a name. J.C. Penney is a name. Hollister is a name. Abercrombie and Fitch is a name. American Eagle is a name. The Buckle is a name. Nike is a name. Converse is a name. Adidas is a name. Under Armour is a name. University of Texas is a name. Texas State is a name. <laughs> Texas A&M is a name. Gave you one chance to whoop, and I didn't even get a whoop. McDonald's is a great name. Right? Pastor, what's pastor's favorite name? Bluebell. He can't do a sermon without mentioning Bluebell. It's a name. Chick-fil-A is a name. Torchy's Tacos is a name. 
Pinehouse Pizza. That's where we're going tonight. That's a good name. What do all these names have in common? They're completely dependent upon you. You got to talk about them. That's why it's called a brand. Because if you don't talk about them, then they go out of business. So you wear their stuff, you promote their stuff, you put stuff online, you social media, you blast about it, you post about it, you tweet about it. They're completely dependent upon you. Listen, I'm not against the culture. I'm not against. We're, you're going to buy things, right? That's okay. But Jesus is completely dependent upon us as well. And it's not this this uh, obligation. It's it's almost a privilege. Like I get to carry that name. Really. I'm not going to tell you how to carry a name. You know how to carry a name. You do it all the time. Right? You know I love McDonald's. You know that. So we went to Passion, and night one, we dismissed, and there's nothing open that late except McDonald's. So guess where I took everybody? And they all had to suffer with me as we ate chicken nuggets together. It was amazing. Right? Now, that's a very silly name. I know. I should stop eating McNuggets. I'm going to try. 21 days of prayer and fasting. Here we go. Um, giving up McNuggets. Oh, God. Um, but it's a name that you hear me talk about. If I were to ask you, let, let, me, let me change that. If I were to ask 10 of your closest friends, tell me about Kitra. Tell, tell me about Kitra, right? And I asked 10 of her closest friends. She said, oh, she's awesome. She has the best smile. She's always smiling. She's a teacher. She is from Colorado. She likes the Broncos. Right? Tell me about Lawrence. Oh, man, the dude with the bow ties. His hair is always on point. Drives a nice car. How far into the conversation will we have to get to, wow, he just loves Jesus. She's absolutely crazy about God. Not, I think it goes to some church, life, Christian something. But when you say, hey, tell me about Lawrence, tell me about Keetra, tell me about them, they go, wow. All they talk about is Jesus Christ. Not they like McNuggets, but they love Jesus. To carry that name, there's so much power in that name, and, and it is the name above every name. Paul says that every, at, the, at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue will confess that that name, Jesus Christ, is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And, and we get to carry that. And so I'm not going to tell you how to promote a name. You know how to do that. You are born name carriers. Let's just do it. There are people whom we've left behind when we experience the goodness of God that just don't know they're saved yet. I got to bring this back, this good news. I got to come back and tell you the good news that I've discovered. Worship team, if you'll help me. I don't want to spend another 
minute of my life proclaiming a name that doesn't matter, that's going to dissipate as this planet does someday. I want to spend the rest of my days declaring, proclaiming the name of Jesus. So that's what's next. That's what's next is we got to take this and we got to go outside of these walls and tell people about the name of Jesus. You know, the last time we went to Pine House, that is where we're going tonight, and we hope you join us. You pay for your own meal. Uh, Sorry, I'm not that rich, but... It's good. It's fun. Uh, there's a whole lot of us that go. And we just hang out, and we'd love for you to come hang out with us. But um, if you don't know where Pine House is, it's just really close to here. It's just on the other side, literally, of uh, 290 and 71. Um, but the last time we went to Pine House, uh, it was so cool because one of the, the servers, because it's, it's counter service, you all have to go up and order your pizza, and then and the pizza rolls, they'll, they'll change your life. That's what I'm getting, in Jesus' name, before the fast starts. I'm starting tomorrow. So, so anyway... Uh, but he just kept hit, getting hit with, hey, you should come to Continuum. And they, everybody had like our invitation cards, which you can get some of the information center. And he had like seven of them. And I love that. I love that. Like it wasn't just one person proclaiming the name, but there's a lot of people and he's going, what in the world is happening here? And that's what I'd love to see is for us to take this name that we're also passionate about, that we have this fire about and that we burn enough for everyone to see. I don't, I don't want to keep this good news to myself. What we're doing is not right. We have to go back and tell those who have not yet heard that they too can be saved. Let's pray together.